Scripture reading this morning will come from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not upon thine own understanding. In all the ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thy own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel, and merit to thy bones. There was a young man who uh, was telling his friend about a beautiful young woman that he met. She was everything he ever wanted in a wife. He, he was amazed by her. She was beautiful and intelligent. And he told his friend, I would have I married her on the spot if it wasn't for something she said. His friend asked, well, what did she say? He said, she said no. And the whole point of that is this. At, at some point in time, my guess is we've all faced rejection. Whether it was being selected for a sports team when you were a kid, or maybe it was uh, being rejected for a particular college you wanted to enter. Maybe you were rejected for a, a date, or a job, or a promotion. I'm certain that to some degree, in some way, shape, or form, at some point in time, all of us have had to face some type of rejection. And this morning, I want us to consider how we handle rejection, particularly when that rejection comes from God. Now, let me explain what I mean by rejection from God. Have you ever asked God for something that He did not fulfill? Have you ever prayed for something to come to fruition, but it didn't? That's the kind of rejection I'm talking about this morning. There are times that God chooses to answer our prayers with a no rather than a yes, and that's his prerogative. But when he does, it can be extraordinarily difficult for us to accept. You know, one of the more well-known incidents of a rejected request in Scripture happened to David. The man after God's own heart was rejected on one occasion by God. It occurs in 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to that chapter. We'll be there for much of our study. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, David wanted to build a house for the Lord. But God ultimately rejected his request. And this morning, we're going to consider what we can learn from that incident so that we can be prepared to handle those times when God says no. So in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the first thing I really want you to notice about David here and for our sakes on how we're going to handle rejection like David is I want you to notice that rejection can only be accepted by a heart that prioritizes God. Rejection can only be accepted by a heart that prioritizes God. See, David wanted to build a permanent facility for the Ark of the Covenant. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, read the first two verses with me. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, 
See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. David recognized that it wasn't right for him to be living in a palace when God, via his presence associated with the Ark of the Covenant, was living in a tent. David wanted to construct a building worthy of God's presence. So David, David's motivation for building a temple was absolutely right. It was out of reverence and respect for God. And, and David's method of going about this was completely right as well. Because notice, he doesn't just start construction. He doesn't just assume everything is fine and he can go build a temple. He requests permission via God's prophet Nathan. He goes to Nathan. He consults with Nathan before he advances on his plan. And, and Nathan gives him the green light. So David's motivation as well as his strategy here, are completely correct. But it turns out that God rejected this plan to build a temple. If you skip over to the book of First Chronicles, chapter 17 and verse 4, we're told that God said to, Nathan, uh, said to David via Nathan, it is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. Now why was David not allowed to construct this temple? 2 Samuel chapter 7 and 1 Chronicles chapter 17, the two chapters in the Old Testament that address the construction or address this request, neither one of those chapters offer an explanation as to why David was rejected. But there are other texts that seem to suggest a couple of reasons. According to 1 Kings chapter 5, David was not allowed to build the temple because he was too busy. 1 Kings chapter 5 and verse 3 is where Solomon said, You know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him. Solomon's statement seems to suggest that David was too busy waging war with Israel's enemies to undertake a major construction project. And his desire to build the temple during a time of peace was premature and, and naive. So it may be that David was not allowed to build the temple because he was too busy. But if you go to 1 Chronicles chapter 28, another statement seems to indicate that David may not have been allowed to build the temple because he was too bloody. 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 3 is where David told the nation of Israel that the Lord told him, You may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. So apparently... David's role as a warrior who is accustomed to shedding blood made him inappropriate as the temple builder. So whether it was because he was too busy or too bloody, it doesn't matter. God rejected him as the one to build the temple. And here's what we need to take away from this. David's going to handle this so brilliantly. And I think it has everything to do with the fact that he was prepared in advance. He was prepared to accept a rejected request by consistently prioritizing God above all else. 
See, one thing we'll notice is that God did consider David's desire to be commendable. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 7, and 9, 7 through 9, at the dedication of the temple, Solomon reflected on David's desire to build a house for the Lord. And here's what Solomon said. He said, Now it was in the heart of, my, of David my father to build a house for the name of the Lord. But the Lord said to David my father, Whereas it is in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, it is not you who shall build the house, but your son who shall be born to you shall build the house for my name. God specifically told David, according to Solomon, that it is well, you did well by desiring to do this. It was commendable to God. David's willingness to prioritize God was something God was pleased with. Let's not overlook that fact. God didn't reject David because he was disappointed in David's desire. David's desire was found praiseworthy by God. And I think it demonstrated how God was consistently pleased with David because David was consistently prioritizing and David's prioritization of God is reminiscent to me of the very first act of worship you come across in Scripture. You have to go back to Genesis chapter 4, to the story of Cain and Abel. But when you go back there, you see these two brothers are, are, are both offering a sacrifice to God. Many of you know how this plays out. Cain brings an offering of produce, and Abel brings an offering of of animals. And many assume that it's their choice of a substance for the offering that dictates whether or not God is pleased with the offering. But I don't think that's the case. Because even though Cain brought produce, you can journey into Mosaic law and discover that there were some specific sacrifices that God ordained that involved produce. You can read in Leviticus chapter 2 how there were grain offerings that were completely acceptable to God. You can go to uh, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9 where Solomon will say, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. I don't think it was the substance that was the issue, as I've mentioned in previous sermons. I think it was the attitude. You see, if you look there in Genesis chapter 4 at Cain and Abel's sacrifices, you'll notice descriptions of their sacrifice. We're told that Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. In other words, he brought the best of the best. He prioritized what he gave to God over what he kept for himself. Meanwhile, we're told that Cain brought to the Lord an offering. That's the extent of the description of Cain's offering. An offering. That's it. That's all we're told. It was just a plain old offering, nothing special about it. So Cain did not take the time or make the effort to prioritize God with his offering. 
He practiced a bare minimum mentality toward his offering. He was just fulfilling the obligation by doing the very least that was required. And we're told in Genesis chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, that the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. In other words, God rejected Cain's offering. And Cain was not prepared for that rejection. We're told in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 5 that he was very angry and his face fell. But here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice what God said to Cain after Cain's anger rose. God said, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. God told Cain that if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. If you don't, sin's waiting on you. David here is modeling Abel, not Cain. He's demonstrating in his desire to build a house for the Lord, he's demonstrating his desire to prioritize God above everything else. That is acceptable to God. That is pleasing to God. And that prepared David, unlike Cain, to handle the rejection that he receives. And so when we look at this story, we learn that rejection can only be accepted by a heart that prioritizes God. Cain's heart was not one that had prioritized God. And so his anger boiled over. Sin was waiting on him, and it took hold. And the rest of his life was spent at a distance from God because he wasn't prepared with a heart that prioritized God. The other thing we learn from this account in David's life is that God's rejection of our request is not equivalent to a rejection of us. God rejected David's temple building plan. But that does not mean that God rejected David. Nowhere in the text of Scripture do we learn that God said no to David because of some sin in David's life, or because David needed to be disciplined, or because David had some ulterior, self-serving motive behind his plan, or because David's request was sinful. None of those things are true. God rejected David's plan simply because God had a different plan. And so, while rejecting David's plan, God did something. He redirected David's focus. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 7 and, and begin with me in verse 8. And I'm going to take you through verse 16, and I want you to see what God says to David 
after rejecting his request. God says, beginning in verse 8 of 2 Samuel 7, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And then in verse 11, he continues and says, And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Finally, in verse 16, he says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, your throne shall be established forever. What happens here is that God has acknowledged the goodness of David's request, but he's informed David that that's not his plan. And so he decides to redirect David's focus, and he says, here's the thing, David. Instead of being concerned about constructing me a house, I want to alleviate some concerns. I want to let you know how I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, to make, to, I'm going to give you a well-known name. I'm going to give you a successful and peaceful reign. And I'm going to set up for you a royal dynasty. Rather than expecting David to build a house for him, God informs David that he's going to build a house for David. And so here's what David has to do. It's really quite simple. He has to trust that God knows best. The lesson for us to gain from David's experience is that people after God's own heart should trust God even when he rejects their request because he always knows best. Think about it. Sometimes God says no because our will does not align with his will. Now, I want you to think about that. There are some requests that you make of God that do not coincide with his ultimate will. Did you know that even his son made such a request of him? In Luke chapter 22, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying, his prayer was that if you are willing, Father, remove this cup from me. But that wasn't part of the Lord's will. Jesus still went to the cross that night. Jesus still died that night. Because that was the Father's will. Of course, we acknowledge and recognize and respect the fact that as Jesus prayed that prayer, He concluded it by saying, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Jesus modeled for us a heart that is always ready for God's no. 
because it is always ultimately concerned about God's will. God's will takes precedence. Jesus demonstrated even here his trust of the Father's will, just like David is doing for us in his story. And this wasn't the attitude of Jesus just on this one momentous occasion. This was Jesus who taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What comes next? Your will be done. That's the model prayer. That's the prayer that Jesus expects you and I to be able to pray as his disciples. That's the mindset of a man or a woman after God's own heart. It's the mindset that always submits to the will of the Father because he or she understands that the Father knows best. So sometimes God says no because our will does not align with his will. Sometimes God says no because as he did with David, he wants to redirect us. Paul experienced God's redirection during one of his missionary campaigns. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16, particularly verses 6 through 10. Paul wanted to continue his mission work in the province of Asia, but he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. He then tried to go to Bithynia, but once again the Spirit of Jesus did not allow him. So on two different occasions, Paul had his missionary efforts stalled by God. Now, his goal was commendable. He wanted to spread the gospel wherever he could, and he was choosing locations that had not yet been reached. So why was God preventing him from engaging in mission work in unevangelized territories? It's because God had another plan. That's it. It was that simple. God had another plan. God wanted Paul to bring the gospel into Europe. So when Paul was spending the night in Troas, he had a dream involving a man from Macedonia, and he concluded that God had called him to preach the gospel to them. Now, Paul would eventually take the gospel into Asia. You can read about that in Acts chapter 19. And according to uninspired church history, Peter would later take the gospel into Bithynia. But at that moment, God wanted Paul's focus to be on Macedonia. So his no was a way of redirecting Paul. And sometimes God says no because he needs to redirect us. And the lesson we have to learn from David, from Paul, from Jesus, is that our job is to trust whatever God's plan is. So I want to read again to you what we read in our scripture reading. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. A passage written by the one who would ultimately build the temple, David's son Solomon. And he said it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. 
Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. That passage is telling us that when God says no, trust God. Because the Father always knows best. And one last thing I want to point out from today's passage here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when David's request was rejected by God. We learn that our responsibility is to support God's will regardless of our role. It's interesting to me because David's plans were not approved, but David was not bitter or despondent or embarrassed or angry. Instead, I want you to notice how David responded. Starting in verse 18, we find out that his immediate response was to go in and sit before the Lord. In other words, he went to spend time with God once he learned of his rejected request. And so the first thing David does is he prays. And look at this prayer. It starts in verse 18 of 2 Samuel chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 7. He begins his prayer by humbly acknowledging his unworthiness in comparison to God's greatness. He, he rhetorically asks, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? David recognized that he did not deserve all that God had done and was promising to do for him. And that humble recognition led him to praise God. Verses 22 through 24, he said, You are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. See, David has the right perspective, and it's for that reason he can handle God's no. But then he closes his prayer down in verses 25 and 26. He closes his prayer with a request. Now remember, he's already had his request to build the temple rejected. And now as he's communicating with God after learning of his rejection, he has a different request. And now, O Lord, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. David requests for God to do what God has promised to do. But not for the reason you might think. David did not ask for God to fulfill his promise so that David could be great, but so that God's name would be glorified. In other words, what David does here when he learns of the rejection is he prays for the Lord's will to be done so that God gets the glory. He does exactly what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will be done, but yours be done. David has the right perspective, and for that reason, he can handle God's no. But not only did David pray, the most beautiful thing about this story is that David prepared. 
David learned that he would not be the one to build the temple for God, but that did not mean that he could not start making preparations for his son who would build the temple. So if you go over to 1 Chronicles chapter 22, this is five chapters after David learns that he's not building the temple. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, the first five verses, David said, Here shall be the house of the Lord God, and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. And David commanded together together the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel. And he, get, he set stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for building the house of God. David also provided great quantities of iron for nails for the doors of the gates and for clamps, as well as bronze and quantities beyond weighing, and cedar timbers without number, for the Sidonians and Tyrians brought great quantities of cedar to David. For David said, Solomon my son is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. David couldn't build the temple because it wasn't God's plan. But that doesn't mean David couldn't fulfill a role that contributed to the building of the temple. So David selected the location for the temple. David hired workers to build the temple. And David stocked up on the construction materials that would be needed for the temple. David made all of the preparations for the temple construction process on behalf of Solomon. In essence, David equipped his son for success. David wasn't worried about who received the glory for building the temple. He was only concerned about making sure it was done correctly and honorably. And he made provisions so his son could, in fact, do it right. So David supported God's plan by supporting the one who would ultimately fulfill that plan. And here's the lesson for us to take away from that. We have a responsibility to be willing and ready to serve God in whatever way He desires. We have to remember that God doesn't call everybody to build temples. Each of His people is given a different task, a different skill set, a different responsibility. David was a great king, a courageous warrior, and he was perfectly suited to be the leader that shepherded God's people back to the fold. But David's Success in those arenas did not necessarily equate to greatness in construction projects. But just because you're not the man or the woman for a specific job, that doesn't mean that there's no part for you to play in God's kingdom. God has set us in His kingdom with different skill sets, different talents, different abilities, different personalities, different resources, and different responsibilities. Because we need hands just as much as we need feet. And we need eyes just as much as we need ears. And our attitude should be the same as Isaiah, who in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8 heard the, verse, heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah responded, 
Here am I, send me. In other words, Isaiah volunteered. He possessed a mindset of readiness and willingness when it came to service. Just like David, it didn't matter what role Isaiah needed to fulfill. It only mattered that he was serving his God. That's the attitude David possessed, and that's the attitude we should possess. When God says no, we can be prepared for that with a heart that prioritizes him. When God says no, he's not rejecting us. He just might be redirecting our focus or aligning our will with his. And when God says no, he wants us to support his will regardless of the role we are to play in it. When God says no, are you ready to say yes? Your will be done. Are you an individual? Are you a disciple? Are you a follower who no matter what God's answer is to your requests, is still willing to surrender to His will? Do you have a yes face? I'm reminded of a story I heard about President Thomas Jefferson that on one occasion he and a group of his companions were traveling through the country on horseback and they came to a flooded river that, that had washed out the only bridge in the area. And so to make it across that swollen river, they were going to have to traverse it on horseback. And so the men started to make that journey across the river, and there happened to be another traveler on the same road. The traveler was not on a horse. He was by himself, and he stood on the banks of the river watching the party make their way across. And one by one, different men traversed the river on their horse. It was dangerous. It was risky. But one by one, they made it across. And that lone traveler walked up to Thomas Jefferson and asked if he would give him a ride across the river. And President Jefferson quickly agreed, let him mount the horse with him, and they made it across to the other side. When they crossed, all of President Jefferson's companions asked that individual, why did he ask the president for a ride and not one of them? And that individual said, to be honest, I didn't know it was the president. I just looked at your faces, and some of them said no, and some of them said yes. His was a yes face. Do you have a yes face? When it comes to God, no matter what his answer is to your request, do you always have a yes face? And I am ready and willing to do whatever it is you are asking me to do face. Because that's what we learn from David. In the face of his rejected request, David still wanted the Lord's will to be done. That should be the mindset, the attitude, the perspective of each and every one of us. His will be done. This morning, how can his will be done in your life? It may be that it is His will 
for you to become his child today by confessing your faith that Jesus, his son, is risen and is our Savior. It may be that his will is for you to not just make that confession, but for you to repent of the sins that you've committed in your life and the wrongs that you've done and the ways that you've turned your back on him and his will. And it may be his will is for you to be buried in the waters of baptism for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can rise to walk a new life as his child. It may just be that that's his will for you today. Do you have a yes face? Are you willing to surrender to whatever his will is? It may be that you've made that decision. You've already chosen to become a disciple, a follower, to make that great confession and to be, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you may be sitting here today numbered among the disciples, but you aren't really living up to the will of God. This is our last Sunday of 2020. You might be able to reflect on the past year and look back at the, 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 the several months that we've spent in 2020 experiencing nothing but negative. And all of the negative experiences that have been a part of this year have caused you to grow distant from God. Have caused you to abandon His will in favor of your own maybe even in the smallest of ways. It may be His will for you today to surrender to Him again, to prioritize Him again, to reshape your life around His will again. Whatever it is, the invitation is offered for you to match your will with His today. Do you have a yes face? If so, won't you come while together we stand and sing?
Sarah Gunner has come forward this morning and stated that she does not feel like she's been following God's path as closely as she could be and she is uh, asking for prayers, for guidance in following his path in the new year. She wants to change and improve and upgrade and be better and uh, it's just a great example. We all need to be praying for the same thing but we certainly want to go to God in prayer at this time for Sarah and her effort to change her life and be a better person, be a better follower of God uh, and to say yes and be the uh, be the kind of person that God wants her to be. So let's go to Father, our Father in prayer at this time. Our Father, we're so grateful for this time. We're so grateful for this lesson we've heard this morning from your word, Father. We're so grateful for the changes that we can make. We're so grateful that we can adapt and adjust. And when you say no, uh, we can look for our path. We pray, Father, this morning for Sarah, who is looking to improve her path. She has been going down the wrong road and she, she wants to do better, Father. She wants to be a better servant. She wants to be a better servant of others, a servant of yours. And we just uh, pray, Father, that you will help her to find her place find the role that she needs to be doing to be able to do more, Father, to serve you, to serve others, and to be the kind of person that you want to have her be, the kind of Christian, the kind of example, the kind of disciple that you want her to be. Father, we just pray that you bless her, that you give her strength, that you give her wisdom. Father, we pray for each of us that we will uh, be a blessing to Sarah and that she can be a blessing to us and that we can all improve in our efforts to walk the path with you, Father, and a pleasing path to you. Father, we're so grateful that Jesus came to this earth and he showed us the way, and we just pray that we'll look to him for our example and for the way to go. And it's through Jesus we pray this prayer. Amen. I want to thank everybody for being with us this morning, whether you're here in person.